0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today, Minister of Worship, Reverend Dr. Garth Baker Fletcher brings us a new outlook on the classic parable known as the Good Samaritan. Join us for the message, The Samaritan Alternative. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today, I'm looking forward to this because I don't have to preach this morning. Instead, we're going to have a message brought to us by our Minister of Worship, the Reverend Dr. Garth Baker Fletcher, who's going to be bringing us a new outlook on the classic parable of the Good Samaritan. So he'll be bringing us the message, the the Samaritan Alternative, which I'm looking forward to. Our Old Testament lesson is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 59, verses 8, 9, and 14. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. Their roads they have made crooked, no one who walks in them knows peace. Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We wait for light, and lo, there is darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands at a a distance, for truth stumbles in the public square. And our gospel lesson is from the gospel uh, of Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: If you notice today, the theme over and over again in the hymns and in the opening song was acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean uh, being silent when that person comes around you that they don't really like. That's not acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean that you allow folk into your club that you didn't allow before. Acceptance means letting that person, appreciating that person for who they are. And by acceptance, we open ourselves up to God's love. And by acceptance, we mean that we are going to give that person everything that we would want ourselves, amen? And so let us pray a short prayer. Jesus, please walk with me. Jesus, please talk with me and talk through me. And that these words and meditations be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Choice stands at the center of what it means to be human, or rather, to be fully human. At our physical core, we are driven by hunger, by drives of emotion, by drives... Well, there are other drives that you can't mention here on the pulpit. Yet, we are not just hungry, lonely, or in need of intimacy. We are created in God's image and All of us are created in God's image, not just the folks we like or the folks that look like us or the folks that we hang out with. Everybody's created in the image of God. And as such, we are given a divine power to choose. We can choose to be friendly or hostile. We can choose to be loving or hateful. We can choose to be peaceful or go to war. In this morning's Isaiah passage, the prophet is railing against the way in which his time is an age where choice has been predetermined and foreclosed. Now, my students used to say, why do you always use such big words? But foreclosed means that there isn't really a choice. The choice has already been determined. Now, what does that mean? Well, you remember the passage where he says there's been violence, there's doing evil, there's scheming to defraud folk of their money, there's payola to the courts and judges so that you can't even trust the courts to give you justice. Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) Here it was written over 2,500 years ago, and yet he could have written it when? Yesterday. Amen. Our streets are filled with violence. Even our school and our school children and teachers are terrorized by murderers. When we go shopping or, or, or to a concert, most folk, if they're like me, they're kind of looking around. Where's the exit? Because you know, if it goes down and we start here that pop, 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 we want to get out quickly. That's how violent it is. News stories from the left and from the right shock us with money schemers who work out elaborate ways of defrauding folks that they have persuaded to invest in their ideas. And this defrauding goes from cryptocurrency and folks that have a good idea and they keep on foisting it to Wall Street bankers. Even our highest court in the land, and I will not mention any names, the Supreme Court has an individual in it who has been given free access and paid for vacations in luxurious tropical Destinations. Matter of fact, one was in Sandals, which is in my home, my home country, Jamaica. Let me tell you, Sandals is all right. I'm telling you. He got, he got the most luxurious place in Jamaica. While their cases are being weighed in the Supreme Court. Truth, it says in Isaiah, is Fallen. Other versions say truth stumbles. But I like the version where it says truth has fallen. I guess because I I know what it means to fall. (laughs) Y'all know I fell the other day and bopped my head. Bopped my head so badly, my poor daughter Kristen, I mean, well, my daughter Kristen, but my daughter Desiree, my youngest, was so nervous, she just started crying, Daddy, don't die on me, don't die on me. Falling means that you are not able to get up. Or if you learn to get up or can get up, it's a struggle. Truth is fallen in the streets. Justice has been driven back. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. There is another individual who is under multiple indictments. And everyone that has outed this individual is being targeted by this individual. And some of these individuals don't want their names. They don't want their their names in the public square. Why? Because they're afraid. So when you are trying to do the right thing, you're trying to shun evil, you become a target of those who are doing evil. It was true then, and unfortunately, it's true now. Despite our enormous technological advances, our enviable military powers, and our moral and political promises that proclaim freedom, equality, and justice. So this morning, let us look at how Jesus dealt with raw, bold unfettered injustice. That injustice of his own time. You see, he was a Palestinian Jew. He knew all the terrible paradox between the greatness of Roman law and the actual practices of Romans towards Palestinians. There's a paradox there. Romans regularly practiced naked privilege. A Roman could sequester you to take his garments and take his swords and everything as long as he wanted, for a few miles. And then when he felt better or got rested, he'd take it back. While injustice, use of people as if they were animals. And just as we fear the violence of being robbed or beaten or shot, so, did the Palestinian Jews. You see, like so many oppressed people of our time, they experience violence oftentimes, most of the time, at the hands of their own people. And you see, this story talks about oppressed folks preying on one another to survive. And that brings us to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I know you've heard the parable many times, so I don't have to go over and over and over it again. But I want to give a slightly different perspective on it based on what we talked about before, choice. So Jesus used all of his parables as a way of helping his listeners understand the good and the moral choice the choice that is wisely made, the choice that makes goodness, moral and godly choices in our actions. That's what parables are. Interestingly enough, Jesus told this parable to an expert in the law. Such uh, legal experts were those who claimed to both know the Torah and to observe it. To observe Torah, which is the way that Jews even now talk about observing, means that you are not only recognizing that it's there, but you're following what the law says. And the law they call Torah. Now, I'm going to give you all a little Bible thing since I'm a Baptist. <laughs> what are the books of Torah in the Bible? The first one is? The next one. next one. Amen. Y'all got an A. Pastor, you're doing a good job. Yes. But if I wanted to get down to all, the, you know, what is the the sort of heart of all five of those books? There are what? The, the source of them is in this little tiny part of Exodus. The nugget. Say it louder. Amen, the Ten Commandments, okay? So now, here's an extended version of the law or Torah that is found in the Bible, and we said that's what some people call the Pentateuch or the five books. Well, you see, this person, this expert in the law, expert in Torah, could have been any number of different people, and it doesn't say what type of person it was. It says he was an expert in the law. He could have been a high priest from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the ruling body of experts in the law. It it could have been a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees prided themselves in being the best observers of the law. Or a Sadducee. The Sadducees, they were interested in the law, but they were rich. And they controlled things. You see, these were kind of two competing Jewish religious, or you could even say in our language, political parties of their time. It does not say who this person was, but Jesus, like a good teacher, asks a parable and asks him, uh, sorry, not a parable, he asks him a question. He, He basically asks what is written in the Torah, and then how do you interpret it or understand it? And he he gets down to the two questions. Now, in other parts of the Gospels, in Matthew, it says, someone comes and asks him, what are the two greatest commandments? But Jesus asks him, what is written and how do you understand it? And the answer was, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus agrees with him and simply says, I like the King James Version, go and do thou likewise. Do it yourself. You got it right. But just as we sometimes so-called Bible experts, or those who loudly proclaim that they are biblical, that is, they follow the Bible only, This guy wants to justify himself. He had all of the head knowledge, but I believe he somehow felt that he wasn't living up to something and that something was what Jesus was talking about in the parable, wasn't it? It wasn't that you know the law only, but it's that you live the law. See, he knew that he was not loving his neighbor as he loved himself even though he could quote it you know some christians like that boy you meet a like when i was a teenager i thought i knew the bible went off to school in a boarding school the lovely young lady asked me to come to the jesus freak meeting well you know i said i'm open-minded and she was the prettiest girl i'd ever seen So she said, come to the meeting. Well, I went to that meeting, and there were people there that had been Christians for two or three months. And the leader got up and he said, turn to Colossians 3. Well, I knew Colossians was somewhere in the New Testament, but I didn't have any idea. You know what they did? They went like this. Whoop, whoop. I was like, oh, my gosh. How did these two-month-old Christians know the Bible so well? All right, and then I'm going to magnify it by looking at Ephesians 4. I know Colossians might be close, but I didn't know which direction it was, so I was rapidly going through. Couldn't find it. They did whoop, whoop again. Bam, they had it. I said, and I got what I call holy jealousy. Ooh-wee, I joined that group just to prove to myself that I should know the Bible better. And in the process of being holy jealous, I had my own spiritual awakening. Some people call it being born again. Some people call it being saved. Whatever term you want to use. I know that I walked in a knowledge Christian that actually didn't know as much as he thought. And in the process, I met the living one who is knowledge. And my life changed. You see, to put it in this context that we've talked about before going away from me and my own little journey. This man chose to love Torah and God, but he struggled to choose loving his neighbor. Jesus picked up on this man's distress, I believe, and so he spoke this parable to him because he figured this is a way to help him understand without just giving him a right push-off. Jesus, in a sense, treated him as lovingly as one could. He said, well, let me tell you a parable. Now, the parable starts with Jesus, what? Depicting how vulnerable injustice was in his time and how dangerous it was to be a Jew. This Jewish man was walking in the most treacherous road in all of Palestine, the road that goes downhill and is rocky and has lots of places where bandits and robbers can hide behind the rocks. For whatever reason, he was walking down that road. We don't know. All we know is that he had business in Jericho and he was walking from Jerusalem. And it says that this unnamed man was... was compelled to walk the fastest way, but also the most crime-infested way. Now, we don't have to understand too much about history to know that when persons walk through dangerous areas, they're terrified. They already know they could be jumped, right? We know that even today. There are certain areas in Dallas that we try to drive around. We don't want to drive through. It's always interesting to me how, unfortunately, it becomes a kind of a racial thing. When, when Karen and I got here to Dallas, we were told that we had to avoid Highland Park. But God has a sense of humor. Because, you see, Perkins School of Theology is in SMU, and SMU is right in the heart of uni- or what they call the park cities, which means University Park and... Ah, Now, Highland Park was known among black people, listen, the cops will stop you, they will harass you, don't go there. And yet we went to that school, and that school offered us a, a house. Guess where the house was? In Highland Park. I was terrified of going there. We had all kinds of experiences, which I will share later, and in another context. But I know that there are white people that don't want to drive through Areas in South Dallas. They don't want to go because they're afraid that they'll get harassed. They're afraid that they might get robbed or held up. It's a common fear, even if it is specified by race. But what's really sad is that this man was robbed and beaten. And he was beaten so badly that the Bible says he was left half dead. Now, Jesus presents to the expert. Three people whose choices contradicted their station in life. I'll say that again. He presents three people whose choices in that situation contradicted who they were in life. These three folks ought to have decided differently if we think about how they were understood in their society and their common perceptions of their time. You see, the first person who saw him lying half dead on the road, was a priest. Priests were the most educated, most prestigious, and holy men of their time. But he was so holy and went by the book. And one of those things in the book of Torah says, you, don't, you shun a dead body because it will make you unclean. And we can imagine that this priest was on his way to a religious service, and he certainly didn't want to stop going because he was unclean, so he, he stopped it. You see, this man was like many a preacher of our time who was more concerned about not messing up his Sunday clothes or his Sunday car or his Sunday go-to-meeting attitude. But being true to the last clause of Leviticus 19, 18, it says, love your neighbor as yourself Jesus does not spend any time really explaining exactly why the priest chose, but what the, chief pre- yeah, the priest chose was to go by and says, on the other side of the road." Likewise, the second man is a Levite. He was one of the sons of Levi that we find out about, first in Exodus and later in numbers. And they were charged with being the singers and the worship leaders of the temple and the synagogues. So he was equivalent to what I do here. He was a worship leader. He was a singer in the choir. And yes, that includes everybody, y'all. That includes the audio-visual booth. That includes all the readers. That includes the handbell choir and the choir members. We were all Levites. We're all modern Levites. That's who we are. And this Levi does exactly the same thing as the priest did. He goes to the other side of the road and walks around. You see, like the priest, we can, we can kind of speculate that maybe he was on his way. He might be a little alert to church after all the priest had just come by. So maybe he knew the priest was coming and he saw the priest and he said, well, I've got to get to the church because I'm going to be late. Got to get there. But Jesus, again, does not explain exactly why. So we get then to the third person who's coming, uh, sorry, who is described as a Samaritan. And next to the Romans, Samaritans were the second most despised and hated folk. They were reviled by their choice to worship in Mount Gerasim, to follow the northern traditions, which the southern traditions of people that lived in Jerusalem, they believed that the You don't worship at Mount Gerasim or any place other than the what? The temple. And where is the temple? In Jerusalem. A Jew was coming from the Davidic line. With the royal house of David reigning forever. And yet the biggest surprise for this law expert was not just the fact that he was a Samaritan who chose to help. But was the fact that this Samaritan made a choice that was contradictory in that expert's mind to who a Samaritan is? Now, how do we understand this? Well, I'll tell you, it would be to use the thing we talked about before like Jerry Jones was going through the poorest black neighborhood in Dallas in his Bentley. He's driving pretty and looking good because he's a multi-billionaire and he sees someone on the side of the road beaten up and he does something that contradicts our, own, our perceptions and our understanding of who Jerry Jones is, as a wealthy, privileged man. He gets out of his car, and goes to that person and reaches around him and he sees he's all beaten and naked so he takes off his nice $7,000 <laughs> suit jacket and Puts it around him, and he he, he, he got a first aid kit because after all, you can't have a bitly without a first aid kit. And he gets his first aid kit, and he wipes his blood off, and he and he picks him up. I didn't know Jerry Jones was that. Ha- oh my goodness! And he takes and he takes him to a private hospital because he knows that they would he will be taken care of, and he stays there to make sure that he's all right. And then the next day, because it's late at night. And it doesn't really say that, but it implies it. He says, I got business to attend. What if you're Jerry Jones? You know you got business. But here, here's my information. Charge it to me. That's how shocking it would be. You see, the Samaritan chose to follow the essential second clause to what is the most important way to live our lives as followers of God. Just loving God is not eternal life. It is ignoring the second clause that the expert had so rightly quoted. The Samaritan's choice was to have compassion, and that led him to a practical event. And that event was that he chose to love this person, not whether he was a Jew or a Samaritan, but as a neighbor. The Samaritan alternative... And I know I've done three point sermons before. And Sister Marie, she, says, she said, Well, guys, I like the first two points, but you know, the third point was the one I was really interested in. You didn't have enough time for that one. So, <laughs> Sister Marie, I'm just making one point. <laughs> the Samaritan chose to an opportunity to act more than doing nothing. The Samaritan alternative is a summons to us to move beyond book religion and feelings of love to actions of love. The Samaritan alternative is a choice to love completely, to love fully, to embody love. Even, I dare say, and some Bible experts have said, The Samaritan loved extravagantly. Love is not measured. I can't measure to you how much I love my wife. But I know that if she asked me to do anything, I would do it. And I know that if I asked her to do anything, she would do it. Why? Because she loves me. And that love is extravagant. What is the Samaritan alternative in Christianity? It is an invitation to both love God personally and love others practically. Like the Samaritan, our, our uh, fighting and, and understanding about s- styles of worship or even where the worship is or or what we dress like when we go to worship, all that is the non-essential. The essential thing is to choose to act with compassion, loving others as neighbors, no matter who they are. I will share with you it is not easy. It won't feel natural, and sometimes it won't even feel good. Yet it is Jesus calling us in everything, So I encourage you, my dear friends, church members, choose the Samaritan alternative. Amen.
0: Accept this benediction. Now God has told us what is required is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God and to love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So may everyone we meet along the road find a loving neighbor in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.